You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. We're excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned for why we love using Zen for the podcast. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Archaeology Show, episode 140. On today's show, we talk about Mary Anning, the real paleontologist that the movie Ammonite is based on. And spoiler alert, we're going to heavily talk about the movie. So if you haven't watched it, go watch it now. Let's dig a little deeper. All right. Welcome to the show, everyone. Rachel, how's it going? Pretty good. Excited to talk about this topic today. Yeah. Aside from the interview last week, I feel like we haven't done one of these in a while. (laughs) I know. We did take a couple weeks off while... We have been on vacation and had some other personal obligations. So now, though, we're getting back into our regular recording schedule. Yeah, we are in Arizona among the saguaros. And the choya. And the choya, apparently. Got one stuck in my leg yesterday. (laughs) God, it came out of nowhere. Yeah, it really did. (laughs) It was like a little ball of death that got hooked to a foot and then caught onto my ankle. and (laughs) It just like stuck in. And when uh, you were pulling it out, I was like, how how long are these talons? It was horrific. <laughs> yeah. So they well, just dig themselves in. Yeah. Welcome to the desert. Yeah. All right. So we are going to talk about a movie. You can find it on Hulu if you have a Hulu subscription. It's called Ammonite. And it came out, what, this year? It actually came out in late 2020. Oh. And I don't know. We just weren't really in like a movie place back then with the, the pandemic and everything going on. We just, I felt like we weren't really paying attention to what movies were coming out at that time. What was so. this even in the theaters? I I'm not sure. Yeah, actually, it might have been. It was it was in the fall of 2020, so it could have had a brief theater moment, but now you can stream it on Hulu or I'm sure you can purchase it on the various mm-hmm. streaming platforms that sell movies. So, but yeah, Ammonite is a movie that is loosely based on the life of Mary Anning. Or not even really her life, like a like a moment in her mm-hmm. life, really, is what the movie is based on. And Mary Anning was an amateur paleontologist. So we're kind of archaeology adjacent here. But when we saw that the movie was coming out, it's based a little bit on her life. And I don't know, it just seemed like it would be a cool thing for us to talk about as archaeologists, both like what the movie got right, and then also we'll talk about Mary Anning and who she was and what her contributions to paleontology and a little bit of archaeology as well. Sure. So let's talk about the movie first, so yeah. kind of set the stage there. Uh, the person who plays Mary Anning is Kate Winslet. Yes. Yeah. One of my favorite actresses. She's just so awesome in everything that she does. Yeah, she didn't smile once in the entirety <laughs> of this movie. And I think she said eight words. Yeah, she's so. a very quiet, very stoic character in this movie, yeah. for sure. 
Yeah, I don't know how much of that is based on Mary Anning, the real person, but or how we would even know that to be honest. Yeah, because this was, was a long time ago. This was she lived from. 1799 to 1847 helped place the movie in time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah, I think we're talking like early-ish, mm-hmm. early into mid-1800s for the movie time frame. Yeah. So the movie kind of opens up with her basically, you know, they live near the shore in England. I can't remember where. It's called Lyme Regis. Lime, okay. I'm not sure they actually said that in the movie. That's just from my uh, research on Marianne yeah. herself, but... It's probably pretty close because that area is well known for fossils. Yeah. So she lived near the shore. She would always go out there and look at the rocks and and actually dig up in the cliffs and find fossils. And and primarily, one of the things she was known for, which is why the movie was named this, is ammonites. Right. They're the kind of less spirally shaped nautilus type shells that you've seen before probably in fossils and things like that. So yeah, in the movie, it's very dark, not from a like dramatic point of view but from like a lighting point of view it's very rainy cloudy england all the time (laughs) yeah i think it's even winter too right might be so yeah so let's talk about the sort of i don't know if you can call her the other main character but the other female Mm, character here is charlotte murchison is the character's name and she was a real person as well and she's played by cerise ronan i hope i'm saying her name right Mm mm-hmm and she also did a freaking amazing job. Both of these these women were just like stellar in their roles. Yeah. The movie is very quiet and it really does like rely on them to do a really good job of just like being the character. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the plot is basically that Mary Anning she's got a storefront with her mother. They live in a home behind the storefront or above it or something. And she goes out and collects these fossils and sells them in her storefront for a living. After she cleans them and polishes them. and Yes. Yeah. yeah makes them attractive to tourists. Sure. And then she's just going along with her life and doing her thing when a wealthy couple comes to town. This would be the Murchisons. And I can't remember how they got to this point, but... Charlotte, his wife, ended up staying with Mary Anning for a while. Do you remember the specifics around that? She was not well. That's right. Yeah, she... I don't know if they ever said what was really wrong with her, but they basically... She was walking around, uh, was told to avoid stimulation, and like there was a scene with those two at dinner, and they walked in, and there was a really noisy dining room, and and she looked excited to go in, and her husband's like, "Um, nope, do you have anything quieter? And they they ended up in this, like, really melancholy area uh, by themselves, and... And then he ordered for her, and she just looked really unhappy. Yeah, she yeah. got he ordered her like plain chicken or something like yeah. that, and like just like was giving her no stimulation for life at all. Right, but that's apparently what her doctor had told her she yeah. needed to yeah. get out of whatever funk she was in. And as a I don't know nothing to do apparently with her health, they ended. Well, I think that's not true. They were told. You know, the sea air and all that stuff. So yeah. they, they went out to the sea to just, I guess, probably vacation, found the shop. And the guy is like a one of those early, you know, 19th Collectors? century 
wealthy people that likes to steal and collect artifacts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and pay for them and yeah. do stuff. Called himself an amateur archaeologist, basically. Yeah, basically. And he walked into the shop and was very interested. And he was interested in what Mary had there, but he was more interested in going out and collecting with her. Right. Yeah. The wife had literally no interest in that. Zero interest. Yeah, Charlotte she was... at first is not interested in this at all. Yeah. So they struck up a deal, and Mary and... The guy, Roderick or something like that, mm-hmm. yeah. Actually, he went out with her in the movie. There was all these little montages and all that stuff. He went out with her a number of times yeah. to, to help her find stuff and process the fossils and, and look at them. And when it came down time for him to go, he basically, had, you know, in his mind, struck up a friendship with Mary and said, hey... You know, would it be cool if my wife just kind of stayed here for a bit? Because I got to go. Yeah. And to be clear, it doesn't seem like Mary is friends with anybody at this point. No. <laughs> like, no. I don't it's even think she deal. likes her own mother yeah. in most of those scenes. So, like, she's just a very solitary, very kind of grumpy sort of yeah. hermit type of individual. It was definitely more of a business deal for her. She was yeah. doing it for the money. Yeah. And she even told him, she's like, I don't do this for money. Like, the take people around. You know, she's like, I sell stuff. Right. And he's like, well, what about this much money? She's like, all right. So, <laughs> yeah. anyway, so they did that, and, and the the wife ended up staying there, and, and actually staying, not staying with Mary. No, nah, she no. was in like a hotel or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Somewhere nicer. Well, she was taking the waters. Remember, there's the one scene oh, yeah. where they put her into this like closed up carriage, basically. Backed her into the ocean. Yeah. Backed her straight into the frigid cold. Like, what is that? Like yeah. North Sea, basically there. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then she got in the water and it looked like she was about to drown. And then yeah. they pulled her back out. That just looked miserable. So, right. Anyway. So, yeah, so Charlotte started coming around the shop, and her and Mary started, you know, Mary, again, reluctantly and with, like, glares and a sullen face, like, <laughs> let her be near her. And, you know, so the wife started going out with her to the shore. Yeah. And they just, through lots of no dialogue scenes, just kind of, I don't know, ended up, I wouldn't even say becoming friends, but just, like, spending time together. Yeah. And Mary probably hadn't spent much time with anyone, it looked like, aside from her mom. Yeah. So up to this point, they're giving pretty heavy indications that they think that Mary Anning is a lesbian. And by they, I mean the writers the, the writers and the people who created the movie. Like, there's one interaction that she has with an older woman where they're giving each other, like, longing looks and stuff like that. Yeah. So it... They're definitely it, playing it up. Yeah. It definitely feels like they are indicating that she is lesbian. And we'll talk about that more after we're done with this movie synopsis. But then Charlotte starts hanging out with Mary Moore. They're going to the sea together. They're walking the cliffs. They're finding the Ammonites together. And Charlotte starts to get into it. And she actually starts having more personality and like waking up and being a real person again. Yeah, healthier, better. And like you said, they struck up a relationship. And that relationship became a physical relationship by the end of the movie. So, oh, right. Spoiler. (laughs) It becomes a physical relationship by the end of the movie. Yeah. (laughs) A very explicit physical relationship. Just BTW, if you're planning on watching it with kids or whatever. Maybe not. But yeah, and that's that's basically it. The movie very much focuses on the two women and their relationship. And I would say tangentially focuses on the yeah. fossil collecting and the, the paleontology. Speaking of watching with children or other people, you might be thinking this is like a good, you know, 
fictionalized account of a science movie or something like that, but it's very much not. No, it's it's relationship. It's, yeah, it's really more about Mary's, I guess, interpersonal skills, and then this relationship that develops, and then basically at the end, Mary's left alone again. Yeah, and uh, by her own choice, though. Yeah, yeah, by her own choice. So, and yeah. and that's how it goes. Yeah, and it, there's not a lot of. You know, flair to it. It's just like that's what it is, and yeah. there's very little about the Ammonites, what it means. They they briefly mention a few times that, you know, she is either asked to speak or was featured somehow in the Geological Society, which was the first time a woman had ever, mm-hmm. you know, been given that honor, yeah. as they said it. So, anyway, they they mention those things occasionally. That stuff kind of comes in along the side of the plot line and then leaves again. Yeah, and it's back to Mary being sullen and hating the world and just doing her <laughs> thing. So. Yeah. yeah, they definitely played that aspect of her personality up, which I yeah. have to guess was probably somewhat true. They do have letters remaining between her and Charlotte and some of her other correspondents. They would have had an idea of what her personality was really like. Yeah. So I feel like that was probably somewhat accurate. They also showed them uncovering an ichthyosaur at one point in the movie. Yeah. And we can talk more about that in the next segment. She, she did... She and her family basically found the first ichthyosaur, but it certainly wasn't done in the dramatic fashion between these two women who were beginning a relationship who found it together like that. Well, no, Mary found it before this woman ever came. That was the fossil in the beginning that was in the museum, was the ichthyosaur fossil. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so in the British Museum. Yes, which is also true. Right, right. It was one of the first things she had found when she was younger, wasn't it? Well, she didn't actually find it. Her brother did, which oh, is another yeah, yeah. like slightly off thing about the movie. But that's fine. Like yeah. it was a family fossil hunting business in the beginning, so yeah. it makes sense. So. so, all right. Well, that's probably enough about the movie. Go watch it. Well, did you like it? Uh, I, I get the impression you didn't like it. I don't think I did because I went into it thinking we were going to learn about this scientist that yeah. discovered this thing and yeah. like how that went. But it was a completely different movie than that. And yeah. I think if I'd gone in knowing that it was a completely different movie, I would have had a, I would have come out with a different impression of it. Right. You know, I mean, if you're looking for car chases and explosions, this isn't the movie for you. It, it's a half decent drama but i think they drag out some of the scenes a little bit too long yeah you know some of the some of the long looks and just panning scenes are reminiscent of you know pre-trial shots in early star trek episodes <laughs> like it's just like a panning shot of the ship's bridge with nothing happening <laughs> it's not for that 10 bad. minutes yeah. okay you're a little bit harsh with your criticism i think i thought it was a really beautifully shot movie the scenery of course you just can't beat it being on the well, yeah. the coast like that and oh, it was that's gorgeous good. and the acting was amazing and yeah. i can't even like so the the one bone to pick i i suppose i would have is assuming that there is a lesbian relationship between Mary Anning, who is a real amateur paleontologist, and Charlotte Murchison, who was a real correspondent with Mary Anning. Like, assuming that there was a relationship there without any evidence is the only thing that I don't really love. I w- almost would have liked it better if they had just done a made her have a relationship with a fictional person, you know? Yeah. But I guess that's not any better to Mary. That would just be better mm. to Charlotte. So, right. anyway, I, I don't. I don't love putting things on people from history when we don't know for sure what they were actually thinking and feeling and doing. So that would be my one thing. But it still was a beautiful movie and it was beautifully shot and acted and I definitely recommend watching it. So I liked it. I'll give it four out of five stars. Sure. (laughs) What do you... 
probably give it two and a half. Oh my god, you're so bad. And they it's, got the. It's two not for, your kind of movie. I get it. <laughs> no, it's not even that. Like I said, it was just not what I expected or yeah. wanted out of that movie. So it's not a biopic. I'd rather see something about Mary Anning's actual life. Yeah. And not like this snapshot where she might have kissed a girl. So you know what I mean? Yeah. That's what it focused on. Well, speaking of her actual life, shall we take a break and come back and talk about who she really was? Let's do it. Back in a minute. Chris Webster here for the Archaeology Podcast Network. We strive for high quality interviews and content so you can find information on any topic in archaeology from around the world. One way we do that is by recording interviews with our hosts and guests located in many parts of the world all at once. We do that through the use of Zencaster. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. Zencaster allows us to record high quality audio with no stress on the guest. Just send them a link to click on and that's it. Zencaster does the rest. They even do automatic transcriptions. Check out the link in the show notes for 30% off your first three months or go to zencastr.com and use the code TAS. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to The Archaeology Show, episode 140. And we are talking about the movie that you can see right now on Hulu called Ammonite. And it's about Mary Anning, an amateur paleontologist. Lack of a better way to say that, I guess. Really, she yeah. was a fossil hunter. She didn't do a lot of studying. More, yeah, she was. She was like a yeah. pioneer almost. Too, yeah, because it wasn't. Was. It wasn't really even in a science at that point. So yeah, yeah. So let's talk about her a little bit. All right. Well, Mary Anning was born in 1799, May 21st, 1799, in Lyme Regis, Dorset, England, and she died in the same area. In 1847. So she actually had a pretty short life, yeah. like, considering all the things that she did and what she's known for. So Yeah, and this the movie actually takes place at the end of her life. Yeah, you know, close looking to the at end. the timelines. Yeah, yeah. It's only within a few years of when she died. Yeah, must and have I been. think didn't they say they think she died just looking at historical accounts of like breast cancer or something like that? Something like that. Yeah. 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 So So Mary Anning's parents had ten children and only two survived to adulthood. And, of course, Mary Anning was one of those, and her brother was the other one. Mm-hmm. And that's just crazy to me. Ten children and only two. Like, that seems, like, even, like, lower than normal. normal. Yeah. And I even read that, like, one of their first daughters was named Mary, and then she died when she was, like, four. And then Mary, the R Mary, was born, and they named her Mary after the daughter that died. Like, and I think that was fairly common for those times, because yeah. I've heard that happening. It's just, it's just crazy to... And along those lines, one thing that kind of struck me weird as weird in the movie, and I don't know if they made this up for the movie for it was common for the time, but the mother had these like ceramic figurines. 
Oh, yeah. And the ceramic figurines, there were eight of them that represented her eight dead children. Her eight dead children, right. And she would clean them, I think, every day. Sometimes yeah. Mary would help her. And one time, Charlotte helped clean them. Oh, and, and the mom she got, like, like super lost mad. her mind. Yeah. yeah, super mad. I don't know. I mean, I I never read anything about that yeah. in my research for Mary Annie. I don't know. So I imagine it was made up for the movie, but it is an interesting thing to think. And it's like they're trying to, like, make the mother feel show how she felt about losing eight of her children right most of them when they were very young so, yeah anyway so they lived in a town called lyme regis which is on the south coast of england and in an area known for flooding in fact the annie family home flooded many times so they were very familiar with water and the water movement and what water could do and these floods were what helped uncover the fossils in the cliffs. So it was kind of like this give and take sort of relationship that that town and these people had with them is the, the flooding, but it would also uncover the thing that was their livelihood. So, yeah. And this is kind of a crazy story, but when Mary was 15 months old, she was being held by a neighbor standing under a tree with two other adults. So three adults total. And the tree was struck by lightning all the adults were killed, and Mary somehow survived. They were able to revive her. So, and she didn't come out of that with superpowers. I know, right? Well, like that's how you become fossil a hunting superpowers. That sounds like yeah. a- <laughs> sounds like she got the short end of the superpower I stick don't know. on that, that one. Sounds like the superpower of my childhood dreams, anyway. <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh. So, of course, you know, being a superstitious time, people credited her natural curiosity and intelligence to the survival of this incident. So, yeah, I wonder how, because at 15 months, even an impactful incident like that, I don't know how much she would have remembered really? and yeah. remembered accurately, but people probably told the story. Yeah. And that could have made her curious because totally. I'm sure it was a well told story. Yeah, totally. So, Lime just became a like tourist town by the late 1700s it was becoming very popular to go take the waters just like charlotte and her husband were there to do so the seaside town became very popular for tourists and richard anning mary's father figured out that he could supplement their income in fact i'm not sure what his like day job was before he was a fossil collector Mm -hmm. but he he figured out he could supplement their income by selling what they called curios to the wealthy middle and upper class people that were coming to the town. Yeah. And I love this. The curios, there's lots of things that could be considered a curio, but the ammonites were called snake stones because they look like coiled up snakes. (laughs) Bellamonites were called devil's fingers and vertebrae were called vertebraries. Vertebraries. (laughs) Vertebraries. It's so cute, right? I love them. Yeah. I want some vertebraries. I know. I love that name. Religiously speaking, the family was part of a group called the dissenters, which means that they were Christian, not Catholic, and also not part of the Church of England. Basically, they separated from the Church of England. That's why they're dissenters for whatever reason. And officially it was called the Congregationalist. And the reason I'm talking about this is because this made them something different than everybody else in the town. There's very few of these dissenters in this area. And, of course, there was discrimination for that. They're, they ran into issues with their their own town over this religious difference. So it's just something to think about. And it actually does play a role in some of the choices that Mary and her mother make later on in their lives. Mm-hmm. It seemed like in the movie, too, that 
she almost acted a little bit like not that she would call herself an atheist, but a little bit like an atheist. Like some of the comments and side looks she made when some sort of religious reference would be made. Yeah. It it wasn't overt. So I'll just go ahead and talk about this now then. Later on in her life, she does convert and her mother too, I believe, back to Church of England. And it does kind of make you think that like maybe she was like going for path of least resistance, right? Like she didn't really care one way or the other. And it was just easier to not be different as far as the religion stuff mm. went. Yeah. That is my complete assumption here. I have no proof of that whatsoever. Yeah. Who knows? So fossil hunting, family business, you know, once Richard realized how much he could make, he taught his two children, Mary and Mary's brother, Joseph, to... How Christian of them. <laughs> yeah. To help find these fossils that they could sell. And Joseph, the brother, is actually the one who found the first ichthyosaur skull. And then later on, Mary found the rest of the skeleton. So that's what I was alluding to earlier, that that the movie was kind of giving the ichthyosaur credit completely to Mary. But it was mm-hmm. sort of a joint effort between the two. And, of course, her father was there overseeing everything right, as well. So right. it was kind of a family thing, that first one that they found. And then when Richard, the father, died, Mary, Joseph, and their mother, Molly, continued this as, like, a family business. I don't... doesn't seem like her mother was actually doing much fossil hunting. She was sort of manning the storefront kind of a thing. And the kids would go out fossil hunting. And they had to. Like, they had no other way of making money, and their father left them in debt. It's that age-old story of fathers dying and leaving the family in debt, which they had no idea about. (laughs) I'm not a father, but I plan to leave you deep in debt. Oh, gee, thanks. That's That's right. (laughs) such a lovely thing to say to your wife. But that means coming up to that point, you must have spent some good money. Oh, my God. Like, you you lived it up. Okay. So, like, to be clear here, (laughs) we don't live beyond our means, and we have no debt. (laughs) Anyway, so eventually the brother... Joseph ended up becoming an apprentice to an upholsterer and sort of moved away and left Mary as the primary fossil hunter. And then it was Mary and her mother running the shop together. Really, I couldn't find anything else about him. I don't Mm -hmm. know if he was helping support them later on, if he moved away, maybe he died. I have no idea, but he doesn't seem to play much of a role past the like 18 teens ish when he sort of separated from the family. Mm hmm. And then this sort of seems like a good breaking point with Mary Anning and her life and her trajectory because her father had died. Her brother is gone. Now everything is all on her. She's good at finding fossils, but she hasn't been finding a lot and not a lot of anything significant because like the Ammonites and the Bellamonites, mm-hmm. they they would sell for like pennies basically right like enough to keep them afloat they needed to find ichthyosaurs and vertebrates and things like that that would actually bring a bigger a bigger paycheck yeah and she just hadn't found anything in a long time so there they just fell on hard times and this is in 1820 and this really interesting guy named lieutenant colonel thomas james birch he was sort of a patron of the family. Like, every time he came to town, he would stop in the shop and buy something. He bought a lot of their early, more significant finds, the ichthyosaurs and things like that. And 
he had all these things that he had bought from them and he sort of looked at them and saw the situation that they were in and he was like how can I help I want the, I want Mary to keep being able to find fossils and he ended up having an auction it's called the Birch Auction where he sold off all of the specimens that he hmm. had purchased from the Annings yeah. he sold them off and raised a bunch of money don't know if he gave all of that money <laughs> to them but he definitely gave them enough to keep them afloat and allow them to get back to it and and start like kind of turn the page into yeah. the later 20s and 30s where things really look better for for the Annie family. Was he represented in the movie at all? I don't remember a character no, like that. I think the movie is later later on uh, in cuz this is like 1820 so she's yeah. she's what like 21 at this point she's still in her early 20s and still trying to figure out how to make a living for her family so well it's crazy that you know we're gonna talk about this in the next segment we're gonna go to in a minute but i mean by the time her life is at an end you know after essentially 40 plus years of doing this because she kind of was born into it with her dad doing it i mean it's not like they moved all over england looking for fossils how many fossils are on this beach yeah, you know, just compl- yeah. constantly eroding out and in the rocks. It's yeah. like, why is this such a rich fossil bed? And is it still that way? I know. I would love to know more about the geology of that area yeah. because if it's anything like it is in the movie, physically, it's just like a a rock cliff, yeah. you know, and the water is constantly beating on it. In fact, isn't there one point in the movie where she falls and? She does fall, but she, like, uncovers a big ammonite Yeah, when she does it, like this big boulder ammonite or something. Okay. Well, in real life, she really does have a, like, I think she has several bad scares. I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And in one of them, she even, like, gets partially buried for a little while. So, like, anyway. I mean, the the beaches out there are not, like, you know, sand beaches. They're all just, like, slippery rocks. Yeah. And, and again, like, what, like, in the movie, I think this is fairly accurate. They show her and Charlotte, like, climbing up the side of this cliff almost to get to these things. So I think it was pretty dangerous work. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the fossil hunting as a business and maybe a little bit more about fossils on the other side of the break as we wrap up this episode about the movie Ammonite about the life of Mary Anning. Back in a minute. You may have heard my pitch for membership. It's a great idea and really helps out. However, you can also support us by picking up a fun t-shirt, sticker, or something from a large selection of items from our Tee Public store. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash shop for a link. That's arcpodnet.com slash shop to pick up some fun swag and support the show. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to the third and final segment of episode 140 of the Archaeology Show. And we're wrapping up the discussion about the movie Ammonite featuring Mary Anning. 
and she was a amateur paleontologist and fossil hunter, basically. So we were talking about her family's business and the and the fossil beds that were apparently ridiculously rich that they lived near because <laughs> and, they weren't rich and like was enough to support them like financially. Yeah, like finding things there. Now stuff was cheap. You could buy a castle for about a buck fifty. Oh but, my god! <laughs> you know, it, it still was is amazing to me that they were able to make a living doing that, which tells me a couple things. One, there's a ton of fossils there, and two, you know, they must have been unique enough for that time period that people really wanted to see something like that. You probably you probably couldn't empty a bowl of ammonites right now in that same area, to be honest. Probably just like, not. People are looking for, you know, yeah. other things. Yeah, so yeah, totally. You just can't sell that kind of thing. But yeah. I was wondering, you know, with the sheer amount of fossils there, and I'm not a paleontologist, so I don't really know how common that is these days, but I feel like if that had been found by you know, I hate to say it, but like a real paleontologist on like some sort of expedition or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they realized how many fossils were there. They would have immediately written about it and published published about it. And I'm thinking of the Burgess Shale, which I think is up in Canada. Mm-hmm. And that is that is where, is it the Cambrian explosion, I think, of life? Like oh. several hundred million years ago? Yeah. Like it is just a ridiculously complex and and massive amount of fossils from a single time period. Right. Uh, Well, a really broad range, but a single time period. Yeah, yeah. And if this had been found in that kind of time period, is it that kind of thing? That's what I'm wondering. Like, is it that rich and that important enough? But but a bunch of uneducated fossil hunters, educated in 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 this kind of discipline, basically found random ones through time and just kept finding stuff, and it never really got known as, hey, how much you guys get out of there? Like, there's no quantity that's... Yeah, they didn't keep records to say how many they no, found. I think it, yeah, I don't think anybody realized how rich the deposit actually was because yeah. there was a long time between the discoveries and between new discoveries because she and her family didn't just discover ichthyosaur. After her brother had left and it was just her and her mom running the business, she found the first complete plesiosaurus. She also found the first British example of the pterosaur. Oh, but they called it a flying dragon back then, which I think is adorable, <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> we should nice. we should call it a flying dragon now. Absolutely. But anyway, <laughs> and she also found a squaloraja fish skeleton. So I'm not sure what the date ranges for all those animals are, but I think they all sort of do cluster into a similar yeah. time period. And she found examples of all of them. So if it had been a established science with researchers who were going out specifically to hunt for rich deposits. If if she had been in that time frame, I bet that she would have been knocked right out of the way and the researchers yeah. would have come in and taken over that area. But it just wasn't that time yet. It was it was too early for it. It was like when we reviewed the Sutton Who movie. Yeah. You know, basically private landowner gets somebody in to go check this stuff out and you know, it, the word gets out, and all of a sudden, academia descends and takes over. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I, it's like—is it? It's almost a good thing, or is it a bad thing? I don't know. I mean, it allowed Mary Anning to become an amateur paleontologist, and even though she'd never had any schooling of any sort, like she barely even had, you know, grade school, but she was published in the in the magazine of Natural History, I think. With some of the things that she had found by the end of her life, because she she became an expert on this stuff. And sometimes it doesn't take schooling to become an expert. No. But you need the experts, the real experts or the schooled experts to not be in the way of 
becoming that. I don't know. It was just a really interesting time. I think the one thing that that academia would give to a to an effort like this is the resources and the connections to actually publish and let other people know about it. That mm-hmm. is obviously one of the hallmarks of science. If somebody just does something in a vacuum where no one else really knows about it, then it, it really kind of just dies. Like the knowledge dies with them. Like, I don't know how much knowledge probably died with her yeah. because she sold a lot of what she collected. Now it showed her drawing in the, in the thing. Yeah. So I don't know if she sketched everyone that she had. And, and if we have a, a record of that somewhere. I believe but, she did do a lot of sketching. Yeah. So she has some really That's good. beautiful, detailed drawings yeah. of the things that she found. And it was also a time where, as a woman, this would have been very, very difficult for her. And there's a lot of doors that were shut because of her her sex. So yeah. she had some help from some of the men that she became friends with over the years. And there is one guy named Henry de la Beche, and they became friends as teenagers. But randomly, like, how do you even know this is going to happen when you meet somebody when you're a teenager? But he became one of Britain's leading geologists. Oh, wow. And they maintain a relationship and a friendship. And so she had some people in her corner who could help get the things that she was finding, get it out there into the rest of the scientific community. Whether she was given credit for it, though, it's interesting. This guy that became a geologist because geology was, I mean, as a science, was essentially invented in the UK in like the 1700s. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was really what was it? Charles Lyell, I think, yeah, was one of the first, and he that was I want to say mid to late 1700s or something, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he came up with like the law of superposition and and those sorts of things. So that stuff was becoming. For people that were science-minded and wanted and were interested in that kind of thing and lived in those sorts of areas, mm-hmm. it was probably a pretty exciting time of discovery. So, But yeah, so they ended the movie with her essentially, you know, just continuing on to collect fossils, mm-hmm. like I said. And it didn't seem like a whole lot came out of her life in that last few years as far as contributions to this aside from her just finding more stuff it just depends on when they were setting the movie because they were pretty unclear about when during her life it was but it just seemed like it was the last few years though it did seem some yeah seemed close to because she was pretty successful all through the 1830s even to the point where a friend of hers his name is william buckland he was another man who was a geologist and part of the geological association or whatever and she had a friendship with him and he actually persuaded the british association for the advancement of science and the british government to award her an annuity known as a civil list pension in return for her many contributions to the science of geology nice it was 25 pounds a year and that like that was enough to give her some some security financially speaking and at the same time, it also meant she didn't have to go out like fighting the weather and the cliffs for mm-hmm. fossils daily, too. So, yeah. But another interesting thing that maintaining friendships with people of influence, you know, really helped her sure. do the thing that she loved doing. So, there's one other thing that I wanted to talk about with her. Cause this is where we intersect with archaeology just a little bit. This is the thing that I based this entire like reason for, <laughs> for bringing this movie and this topic to yeah. the podcast is that she I'm just going to read this directly from this article here because it's putting it in words that make the most sense. 
Anning made what would prove to be the scientifically important suggestion that the strange conical objects known as bezoar stones oh, yeah. were really the fossilized feces of ichthyosaurs or plesiosaurs. Right, I forgot about that. And she didn't give it this name. Her friend, William Buckland, who I spoke about before, he gave them the name coprolites. Yeah. So she identified them as fossilized feces. So I feel like she should have gotten to name them, whatever. Let's mm-hmm. rename them to Ananites. Something Latin. <laughs> yeah. No, but that's cool because coprolites obviously play a role in archaeology too. So there you go. There's your archaeology you, connection. <laughs> do you really want like ancient rock poop named after you? Mm, that's a good yeah. question. I mean, if you're like a paleontologist, you might want uh, that though. We found some more Rachels over here. <laughs> the human Rachels. That's why I called them Annie Knights. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is fossilized feces. Yes. And we've actually, by we, I mean like all sciences, have actually used coprolites in a number of ways to determine earlier diets. And sometimes yeah. fossilized, maybe not even fossilized, but as an inclusion, if you were to break it open, You'll find occasionally like seeds and yeah. other things that you can then uh, either carbon date or do other types of seriation type dating. Like, you know, when were these, mm-hmm. what kind of plants did these seeds produce and did they live now? You know, so. As Jurassic Park correctly taught us. It's true. The things in poop can be very important to, to learn about the living creature it came out of. It's true. Be it fossilized or fresh. That's right. Thank you, Jurassic Park. Yeah. <laughs> that is the lesson for the day, I think. Yeah. So Mary Anning is a really interesting scientific and historical figure because she represents both a woman trying to work in a field that was brand new. Mm-hmm. And so I think she does come across as a little bit of a fossil hunter, but she also did have some things published in some scientific journals in her time. And she contributed a lot to naming of some of these fossils and finding them in England for the first time and stuff like that. So she's just a really interesting character and her contributions should not be overlooked, which is so often the case. They shouldn't be. I think it should still be noted though, that, you know, fossil hunter is a, I think an accurate term only because, you, uh, this started and continued and ended as a way to earn income for the family. It did, yeah. You know, she wasn't earning an income by publishing books about ammonites. Right. She was earning an income by selling ammonites. Yeah, And yeah. that's a very different thing. So, to her credit, along the way, I'm sure, you know, she wasn't in these circles. She didn't go to university that would you know, have told her these things. But... I'm sure that she had interaction with people that said, hey, you really should tell the Geological Society about this stuff. You really ought to do this. You really ought to do this. So to her credit, she listened to those people occasionally and did publish some things about it, which was good. Yeah, it seems like the people buying her bigger discoveries, the ones that were more significant, were Mm -hmm. other geologists and other scientists who, who wanted those sorts of things for their collections. So again, it was that young science sort of a situation going on. But. Well, that ichthyosaur was in the British Museum while she mm-hmm. was alive, and I'm wondering if it... I'm sure the British Museum still owns it, unless they've donated it back to a local museum or something like that, but mm-hmm. I doubt it being the first one discovered. Yeah. They're going to probably hang on to that, especially right. since the rest of the world's like, give me back my stuff, and Britain's like, this was found here. <laughs> so they're yeah. going to keep that, but right. the interesting thing is, yeah, I wonder if it's still there, and because I'm sure they have an ongoing paleontology exhibit. It's kind mm-hmm. of a big feature of that kind of thing. Yep. And I wonder if, uh, you know, people go see it. And yep. if it's not there, like, what 
crazy reason. I imagine under the British Museum is is actually the warehouse where, like, you know, the Indiana Jones warehouse where yeah, the Ark like of the Covenant is. Yeah, probably. Like, it's bigger underneath than it is on yeah, top. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like the library. In <laughs> that, it's the TARDIS. That, yeah, it's, it's something. It's ridiculous. So Yeah, totally. It's half empty now. But, yeah, mm-hmm. anyway. Well, anyway, she's a very interesting figure, and her life is worth more than just a fictionalized account of a potential lesbian relationship. So yeah, I definitely... That's for sure. I say go check out the movie, but also like do some research about her as a person because she was super cool. And, you know, she died in 1847 when she was 48 years old of yeah. breast cancer. So she was young and didn't get a chance to contribute as much to paleontology as she probably would have had she had another 20 or 30 years of life but we got what we got and she made some amazing finds yeah there's definitely some stuff written about her um, the surprisingly the the wikipedia page is really good and, yeah. and well thought out which mm-hmm. means there's other resources out there about her life so yeah you know she talked to people there's stuff that she left behind and and there are some good resources out there so interesting that the movie decided to focus on what it, what it did but you know there it is. It was just more about a relationship than about the science, which we didn't realize. But that's okay. It was still a beautiful movie. Right. Okay. Well, with that, we will end this episode, and we will be back next week with three news articles. And we might even talk about some footprints. Wow. <laughs> we're going to drive by and see them next week. No, we're not. <laughs> but we are going to drive by. We are going to drive right by, though. Too bad yeah. we can't. <laughs> I know. Everybody's talking about these footprints. A few other episodes on the... APN have already talked about them, and yeah. we're going to talk about them too. So I mean, we got to get you know jump on the bandwagon. Everybody else is talking and about it. We got to talk a, about it too. We'll have a different perspective, of course. So, <laughs> all right, see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Archaeology Show. Feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.arcpodnet.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Arcpodnet. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Rachel Roden. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more. In- Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Pro.